Thanks for downloading this show from PC One. Before we get rolling, here's a word from one of the folks who helped bring you this podcast. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Did you know there were over one million bubbles in a glass of champagne? Did someone say brunch? Leave the egg hunting to the kids. We'll have even more fine hunting for your brilliant brunch, Riesling. Ham, sweet and salty richness pairs perfectly with sweeter wines with bold fruit. How about a juicy Pinot Noir? Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine & More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! The following program is a Forbes and Podcast One production. Hi, I'm Denise Ristari, and you're listening to Mentoring Moments, a podcast where smart, witty, and bold women are sharing their triumphs and their skids. We aren't just talking, we're taking action, and we're inviting you to join us every week in my New York City apartment. Mentoring Moments is brought to you by FreshBooks. FreshBooks is a ridiculously easy-to-use cloud accounting software for small business owners that saves you time and gets you paid faster. Now used by over 10 million people worldwide. For your 30-day free trial, go to freshbooks.com slash Forbes and enter Mentoring Moments in the How Did You Hear About Us section. And sitting across from me today is Isabel Gonzalez Whitaker. And I'm so excited that you're here, Isabel. <laughs> I just love looking at you, your smile, everything. I just love being with you. And she is the deputy editor at Billboard, which means that you get like exclusive interviews with Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton and Michelle Obama. And I'm kind of jealous, I have to say. And you produce video programs like the official Grammy red carpet live stream, which is really, really cool. You kind of have your hands in a lot of things, celebrities, philanthropy, politics, fashion, lifestyle, and you do that across all the platforms at Billboard. So, but before Billboard, you were at InStyle, where you did a lot of the media production that we would think of in style, but you also produced, was it five books? I did. I produced five books for InStyle because at the time they had a book series. So they would take some of the content from the magazine and sort of repurpose it. And sometimes we'd augment it with original content, but right. So we always had like an entertaining section in InStyle and that eventually became our parties book. So it was just another way to sort of deliver content to a very, very loyal following. And I know a lot of our listeners are either writing books right mm -hmm. now or want to write books, which right. takes me to the fact that you, in addition to producing books, you also co-authored a book. I did. That is an award-winning cookbook, which, you know, I love cooking and mentoring, as you know, I just think the two just go so hand in hand and it's called Latin chic entertaining with style and sass. Correct. And you were on iron chef America yeah. and you've been on, you did another, you did a few we TV did, shows, uh, right? We did a one hour Emerald special, my co-author and I, it was an incredible experience. I mean, this whole idea of two young women here in New York celebrating our Latin roots and our Latin heritage. And we wanted to sort of bring that sense of entertaining and food to a wider audience. And uh, my co-author, Carolina Buya is an immensely talented writer. She was my editor at Time Magazine. I was at Teen People at the time, but I was, um, because I am ambitious and because I can't just do one thing, I was also freelancing for Time. And we hit it off and uh, bonded over sort of our our, cult, our unique cultural heritages. I'm Cuban and, and she's Venezuelan. And at the time, and this was uh, in the mid-2000s, there were really no books out there that were pan-Latin. It was like Mexican cookbooks or Cuban cookbooks, things that, that were sort of uh, country-focused as opposed to pan-Latin. And we really wanted to do something that was pan-Latin and young and sexy that focused just uh, as much on the food as it did on the entertaining. So we divvied up the book's responsibilities um, where she was primarily focused on recipe development and menus, uh, certainly with, with my input as well. And then I did drinks and decor. And together we, we made a really great team and it really hit well in terms of reception and it's one of my proudest achievements. I, I love that. And I was just with some friends in St. Bart's a few weeks ago. And my friends, the guy cooks and the woman does it. Mm -hmm. But she's all about style and the table. But I also, just because I know that we were going to do this dinner and right. you make a pretty mean mojito. I do. Make, <laughs> I make great mojitos. And um, actually for this book, I went to bartending school so that I could like really 
the overachievers that Carolina and I are, like we we wanted to have more than just like journalistic chops as we created this book. We were like, she actually went to culinary school on the side and I went to bartending school so that we could really speak from a place of authority. Um, and to this day, it's interesting. So my husband is uh, a sports writer, but he's also a phenomenal cook. So to this day, I'm still in charge of decor and drinks right. and somebody else is in charge of the food. So That's it's a good right. thing. I really love to eat. <laughs> and I think we've talked about like what you do, but through this, I'm so glad that you were able to share your stories because I think that we get a sense of who you are. You're that ambitious overachiever in a good way, <laughs> overachiever. And you also have a little son who's so adorable. Thank he you. is like beyond adorable. Thank you. He's, and he's my everything as yeah. they say. And he's how old? How old? He is four and a half right. right now. He's so cute. I mean, he is so cute. Thank you. So we're going to get into all of this. We're going to get into what you do, but more importantly, who you are and some of your proudest moments that you've had in life and those moments where you really had to dig deep and figure out who you are and how far you can go. And I'm going to kick it off with my mentoring moment. So I was thinking about we talk so much about jumping into the deep end, right? It's like jump in, you got to go for it. You got to go for it. And I'm a believer in that. But I think sometimes we need to take a step back and think about jumping into the deep end. What are we really doing? So there's that real blend in life of knowing when to jump in and knowing when to kind of think about it. And I thought about when I was leaving USA Today and I left for the wrong reasons. I, I went to the next job for the wrong reasons, I should say. So here's the story. I was there for 16 years and now I'm bored. I'm, I'm truly bored. I want a set of new problems. But I'm, it's hard to move because I'm a single parent, I have no child support, and I've got great golden handcuffs. So moving is harder for me. It's like it's just easier to stay here. But I'm looking and I want to do something exciting. I want to be an entrepreneur. But you have all these, you know, but I'm a responsible person, so I need to stay here and do this. So USA Today used to do these annual retreats for their management team. And I was not on the management team. I was one level below the management team. But I would go to a lot of the management team meetings. I would sit in for my boss when he couldn't go. So I was a part of, and I've been there for 16 years. So I was really a part. I knew everybody. I wasn't like the management team. Oh my God, I'm afraid of them. You know, who are these people? So they do this retreat and they invite me to come and speak about a project that I'm heading up. And I have plans to go on vacation with my daughter. And they're like, but it's really important. We'll send a private plane. We'll send one of the planes to pick you up. We'll deadhead it, right? So that means nobody else is on the plane. We're sending this plane just for you. Bring you to the meeting. Just spend the night. Can you just delay your trip with your daughter by a day? And I'm like, I really don't want to. And they're like, but it's really important. So I'm like, okay. So I changed plans with my daughter, which is fine. It's just a day. I mean, it's not like we cancel the vacation, but it's still a day. And every day, as I've learned, is an important day. I get to the meeting, I present, everything goes great. And now we have dinner. And after dinner, we all walk down to the lake and we're going to do a group shot of everyone. And we take the photo. And then the president of the company says to me, Denise, can you move out of the photo? I know that's, I love the look. I wish I could take a camera. I'm trying to be quiet out of deference to the podcast etiquette, but I just like my jaw just hit the ground. Okay. Right. So he's like, would you move out? Cause I just want this to be the management team. Now, I was only there for a day. The management team is there for another three days. You couldn't have gone back down to the lake tomorrow and taken that picture. But what I do, so, you know, you act like you're bigger than all that. And you're like, of course, you know, like it's not bugging you. But I was just so furious. It's like I changed my plans. I'm here. I had to do a lot of work to prepare to get this done. I had to sleep all night. And then you take me out of a photo. So that was one of the reasons why when this job offer came to me in a very entrepreneurial company, which, you know, had I thought about it, the allure of it, which is what should have kept me from going into it. It was run by a 24-year-old, which is not a bad thing, right? I mean, that's fine. But I was 47. No one had any experience in business that was that they had already had four employees. She had way too much money and just burning through it. And you could see it all of this is not going to work and the company went under. But 
had I thought about it, had I not had that knee-jerk reaction, and it wasn't really knee-jerk, it was leading up, but that moment was the straw that broke the camel's back for me. Had I thought about it, I probably would have made a smarter move. Now, I may not have ended up where I am today, so I don't regret it because I, I got here in a very organic way and that was part of it. But I think Sarah Rob O'Hagan has told that story about, you know, she went to Atari after being fired from Virgin because they were a big company and her green card was important to her and other factors, right? So sometimes you make the move and she got fired from Atari. Um, sometimes you make, Sally Krawcheck has told that story about going you know, to her next job and getting fired from that because she didn't ask for a contract. And you're, she's a very smart woman, right? So we do things sometimes in that, whether it's to build our ego, that somebody wants us, it fulfills another need, but not looking at it. So that is my mentoring moment. It's a great mentoring moment. It's not the only one I've heard that's similar to that. And um, somebody else got removed from a picture. <laughs> no, not that part. Although I'm sure that that has happened right. so many times. And it's unfortunate that there is sometimes this lack of sensitivity at the top tiers, at least that I've been witness to. So I'm sorry that you had to experience that. Um, I think that I've often been very, I've tried to be strategic and I'm I'm thinking of a very high powered woman who you may also know who I I won't mention her name, but she, I I once went to her and I said, um, I'm sort of, uh, struggling where I am. Uh, and her react, her, her reaction essentially, and her guidance was not unlike your lesson, which is try not to be reactionary. Don't jump too soon. Um, and that's, uh, I've, I follow that advice also because I'm sort of like this risk adverse first generation immigrant that I think I have this sensibility around me where I need to weather the storms as opposed to taking a leap. And that's why if you look at my resume, you know, I was at Time Inc for 14 years, essentially minus a minor stint. Um, I stay places for a long time because um, I like to see things through as much as possible. I, I find that that's changing currently. Like if you look at younger people, they, you know, one year here, two years there, sometimes six months here, six months there, and it's not considered a liability. It's just what, how this current economy works. So I recognize and very much appreciate that mentoring moment. Although sometimes I do wish I I was better at taking leaps, at throwing the hat over the fence and jumping. And before we leap into Isabel's mentoring moment, I want to give a shout out to FreshBooks. A curious thing happened to FreshBooks on its way to becoming the largest cloud accounting software platform for small business owners in the world. As a company, they've managed to stay small while soaring to over 10 million users strong. Or is it the other way around? Has FreshBooks customer base soared because their company has stayed small? Named as a small giant on Forbes' list of best small companies this year, FreshBooks has been recognized for focusing on greatness over growth. By drastically simplifying tasks like tracking expenses and getting paid online, invoicing so you can send professional-looking invoices in about 30 seconds, and delivering award-winning customer service that usually picks up in under three rings, FreshBooks has changed how small business owners deal with their day-to-day paperwork. But this is only a fraction of what FreshBooks can do, and they want you to see more. To claim your 30-day free trial, no credit card required, just go to freshbooks.com slash Forbes and enter Mentoring Moments in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Continuing the conversation here on Mentoring Moments, we're brought to you by Braintree. If you think that your payment system exists solely for the purpose of transferring money from a customer's wallet to yours, think again. Braintree, rethink payments. Learn more at braintreepayments.com slash Forbes. And now back to the conversation with Isabel Gonzalez Whitaker. And I tell this to millennials or any, anybody who doesn't have a lot of responsibility, do it now. My uncle used to always tell me that when I would say, you know, I'm afraid to do this. And he would just say, do it now because you don't have a mortgage. You don't have kids. You don't have the responsibilities that, you know, it might seem scarier now because you feel alone, but you're not going to do it when you get old. Right. It'll be harder. You might right. do it, but it's harder. Totally. And I think some of us are risk adverse and others, it's kind of like looking at your financial portfolio 
portfolio, that mm -hmm. biggest question, right? How, how risk adverse are you? Right. Depending on where you put your money. Right. I'm like, and I'm not at all, but I want to make as much money as possible. Me too. Me too. If you found that, <laughs> so if you find that winning combination, let me know. <laughs> so I've not gotten there yet. Right, I've right. not gotten there yet. But that's true. Like when I was younger, I moved to Europe for a year, like with, I don't know, barely any money in the bank. I was like, I'll wait tables and I'll find what my way. Europe? I moved to Germany. I had an opportunity to live um, in Heidelberg, which is a beautiful little um, historical town in the South. And I had the opportunity to live there for free. And so I did. And I was, I postponed graduate school. I never ended up going to graduate school as a result. And it was the best thing. And I tell people often do it then, just like what you just said. For sure. It just gets yeah. tougher and tougher as we get older to do those things. So now I want to hear your mentoring moment. Oh my I gosh. I can't wait. You know, I, I'm a loyal listener to your wonderful podcast and thank you. Um, I've had so many profound mentoring moments now that what, once you identify it as a mentoring moment, because I've, I've been listening to your podcast, obviously, and I've been trying to self-reflect like what have been some of my biggest mentoring moments. And I think the one I want to share with you today is one that just happened. Oh, wow. A lunch that I had with a very powerful person who I admire, whom I admire very much, a woman. And I mentioned to her that I had been invited to do something that I was very excited about this opportunity and very proud of it. And I sort of mentioned, and I don't even know why I mentioned it, because in looking back, it's something that I need to remove from my vocabulary and how I define myself. I said, I'm sure it doesn't hurt that it's because I'm a woman and I'm Hispanic. And she stopped me right there. This is, this is, she's not, a, 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 this woman is a, is a white woman. And she said, whoa, 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 whoa. You're there because of your accomplishments. I can assure you, you're not there just because you tick off some boxes. And it was an excellent reminder at that moment. And I really tried to stay in that moment. And I said, I'm going to absorb that. And it's not the first time that somebody has said that to me when I've gotten a job or, you know, remember you're there on your own merits. You're not there because, you know, you've hit a quota or whatever you, you're, you're checkboxing a, a quota. But I think growing up Hispanic, feeling marginalized in the South, there was always this looming sense of otherness. And maybe I'm in the room because of that otherness. And maybe that otherness is a liability. So it's an internalized sort of insecurity that I am constantly battling. And I don't think I'm alone in that. I think we all, you know, whatever our diversity angles are, or whatever, however we define our otherness, it can't help but bleed through you. But I want to be more conscious of that and acknowledge the fact that yeah, great. I'm a woman and I'm Hispanic. So bonus for you. But I deserve to be at the table because X, Y, and Z. And do you think there's anything else that I don't want to be your psychiatrist because I'm not, but is there any, because I'm thinking about myself, right? In that sometimes I would say, oh, I got here because of luck. I got here because of timing. Instead of saying, I got here because I worked really hard and I'm smart. Sure. I, I think patriarchy plays into our insecurities. I think that generationally there are things that have made us culturally as women, as, you know, for those of us who, who, uh, you know, are of this other, of not the majority that don't feel entitled to be at the table. And that starts very young. I think it's something that women face, and I think it's something that, you know, people of certain ethnicities face. I, I think back to when, and, and I have great parents, too, and I know you do, too, who, you know, we're always, you can be whatever you want to be. I mean, rah, 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 Denise, you know, you go for it. But the subtitle under that was, oh, but you are a girl. And, you know, my mom is 90, and to this day, she will say things about her apartment building, like, do you know we got a woman who is running the management place here? I mean, what can she do? I mean, she doesn't have, like, she, I guess a woman can't have a hammer, right? It's like, it's like I guess that song, if I had a, if I had a hammer, right. didn't my mom miss that one? But 
in her mind, women can only do so many things. I don't believe that at all, but I do agree with what you're saying, that it's inherent. And so I I bristle when my mom says it. Mm -hmm. I don't say anything to her because she's 90. You know, it's kind of like, go ahead, you think that, whatever. (laughs) It's like, enjoy your life. But I bristle when she says that. And she will always say something to me, like when I started my business, this is great, honey. You know, you've got to start at the bottom (laughs) and work your way up. For my brother, it's never Vince has to start at the bottom. It's always... Vince starts at the top and Vince goes higher, right? right? So I think for me, it was always that a part of you, and I and I think this is what you, I hear you're saying this also, a part of you recognizes that and says, this is great, I got here, but there is that little girl that lives in you. Yeah, of course. And I think that, um, I mean, certainly speaking from a Latin culture, that boys <laughs> were um, historically and generationally treated in a different way than girls were. I mean, just everything from, you know, making sure that I present myself in a way and putting pressure on presenting myself in a way that didn't exist for some of the men in my family. And I want to take that to things that you're proud of, because you you just said the word proud um, earlier. And when I sent you the email and said, you know, tell me some more things about you that I want to make sure that we bring up. And in there were three things that you were very proud of that were on the, I'm sure you're proud of professional things as well, but on the personal level, things that you're very proud of. And, and I, I want to talk about those, but I also want to say the importance of the word proud as a mom. I don't sometimes recognize how important that word is. My husband will text my daughter, will text Allie all the time, and he means this. He's not using it lightly. He's always like, we're so proud of you. You are a star. We are so proud of you. It's a word I don't use enough. And I sometimes, I I don't know what, maybe I need to go to the therapist to figure that out. We won't figure it out today. But I do want to talk about the moments you're proud of. And I think it's a great word that we start using about our accomplishments is what I'm getting to. Yeah, well, I mean, something sort of radical happened to me in my life. Um, I had often judged my successes and the things that I was proud of by my career achievements um, up until the year that my mother and brother died. And they died within six months of each other. I can't even. We've talked about this. Yeah, so I, I, it was our really, listeners are acting like they're thinking, Denise, why aren't you shocked? My heart. I mean, every time right. I t- every time you say that, my eyes feel. I mean, it's kind of like my heart stops for a second because I can't even imagine. Yeah, no, it was tough. And hey, I want to be deferential to everybody and anybody because we all go through tragedies. So it was just my turn. And that was also something that I learned. Like we all, we all go through the desert at some point. So that was my year to go through the desert. And up until that point, the things that I was most proud of were, well, my book, certainly the fact that I had a great job at InStyle, the fact that I was living in New York, sort of living my dream. And then my world came crumbling down. And then I recognized that there was a lesson in the survival of what I had gone through um, in that I was still standing up. And so I became very proud of that. You know, that's not something that you can showcase by a purse or a car or a zip code. That's just like, wow, okay, I made it, I made it through this journey. I mean, it's still not easy, right? But yeah, I mean, it was, it was hell. It was really, really hell. Um, so that was, that was one thing that I told you that I was proud of, that I had sort of survived, um, that. And I think, I think anybody who survived any sort of roadblock, and that's certainly not a roadblock, but I think, I think surviving things, whether they be tragedies or whether they be roadblocks, you need to acknowledge that and be proud of yourself for doing it. Even if nobody else says that they are like, I'm very proud of myself for, being able to stand again at a time when I, I mean, I thought I didn't know how I was going to stand again. I was very close to my mother and I was very close to my brother. We're a very small family and we have a very unique history because they, you know, my parents were immigrants. And so it was, um, it would, it would be hard for anybody, but I think because my family essentially went from, we, you know, we reduced our numbers by 50% right, right there. Before we continue with Isabel's powerful story, I want to thank Braintree for sponsoring Mentoring Moments. Having an up-to-date payment system is one of those things like 
a rattle in your engine that you might let slide to the bottom of the to-do list. Everything's working now, so you'll get to it when you get to it. But that's not necessarily a practical strategy because you leave it too long and you could be stranded on the side of the highway. And when we're talking about getting paid, you don't want to get stranded. It might not be a bad time to check in with Braintree and keep your business humming. Braintree, rethink payments. Find out more at braintreepayments.com slash Forbes. The right workspace is more than just square footage. It's an incubator of achievement, a magnet for talent. Your workforce unleashed. For 160 years, Savills has been bringing real intelligence to global real estate, ensuring not just any space, but the perfect workspace. Because the most important dimension of a building is the human one. Savills. See what Savills can do for you at Savills.us. Today on Geffen Playhouse Unscripted, we are joined by actor, producer, director, author. What else can you do, Brian Cranston? I sweep floors. You do? And I load a dishwasher really, really well. Do you unload it? Not too many. Okay. (laughs) We could give you a job in our house. The talent is loading it, not unloading. No, the talent is buying the dishes that fit together and not the dishes that I buy that don't fit in the dishwasher. Well, I could teach you how they can fit. Okay, Brian, thank you. That's Brian Cranston on Geffen Playhouse Unscripted. Be sure to listen on Podcast One or through the Podcast One app and Apple Podcasts. You're listening to Mentoring Moments with Denise Rastari. Continuing the conversation here on Mentoring Moments, we're brought to you by a new podcast called Fan Club that is all about why we love what we love. We're all fans of something, right? I'm a fan of women who are authentic in their own skin, like Diane von Furstenberg. But with everything changing about the way we consume culture, the nature of fandom is changing too. In each episode, you'll hear from amazing people across the pop culture landscape, musicians, artists, fashion designers, chefs and scientists, about how their work is being experienced today. Subscribe to Fan Club now at vbyviacom.com slash fan club or wherever you listen to podcasts. And now back to the conversation with Isabel. So then um, I decided I was going, my mother who had achieved a certain amount of her own success in Atlanta, where I'm from, as a Hispanic rights advocate and as, as an advocate for minorities and immigrants, I got it in my head that I was going to get something named after her because she had done a lot for the community. And I'd always sort of known this, but what really... Uh, allowed me to acknowledge that in a new way was at her funeral. I mean, I was a wreck, so I don't, you know, I don't know how it was publicized or where it was publicized. Thousands of people came out and filled this huge wow, church. Wow. I, those are the stories when you say when someone has done something so great in their lives. Right. right? And I had people come up to me who I'd never met who said your mother was an angel and she helped me through this and she helped me through that. And she helped me find my way here and she made this country less scary and she was our voice. And I thought at that moment, that's also what success means, right? That's not salary. That's not, that was, that, that had a really strong lasting impression on me. Like it's, it, it was about, her overcoming great odds and not only creating and finding a path for herself that defined her as something different than where she came from, which was not easy, but also that she touched so many lives. So that was important to me. And I was like, darn it, we're going to make sure that the state of Georgia (laughs) acknowledges that. And I remember the overachiever that you are. (laughs) And I remember not just some small thing, it's the state of Georgia. I was like, this is a big deal, and we're gonna make this happen. And I remember thinking in my head, okay, I'll just take I took it very incrementally. I was like, all I need to do is allocate two hours a week to to sort of um, reach out to the right people and and advocate to the right communities, and I will get this done eventually. I I immediately knew I was like, it seemed so overwhelming. And I was like, like, and I had a job to get back to, so I couldn't like fully dedicate myself to it. But I was like, you know, it might take five years, but I'll get it done. And in the end, it didn't take five years. It took 
maybe a year of sort of navigating the bureaucracy. And I got a beautiful park named after her. And to my knowledge, it's the first Hispanic memorial park in the state of Georgia. I love that. How hard was that to get done? It was less hard than you would think, because I think that the universe sort of laid it out. Um, It happened to be as kismet a park that I had once played in as a child that was near where she lived, that was near where the very first Cuban restaurant that they opened up. And this is where the stars align. Yeah. And this is where you're like, okay. Yeah. And, I, and, are... and I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't luck. I mean, I facilitated these sort of conversations and I, and I, I want to say I pleaded my case to the right people, but these were also people that had power and these were people that knew the importance of this kind of memorial. And it was a real community effort. And, um, now we have a $100,000 endowment for improvements of the park that I'm in charge of. That's of fabulous. Making sure, and I want to make sure that as we improve the park and this little playground, that it's around themes of inclusivity. And um, and really, it's just a really nice way to honor her spirit. I so, love that. You're just giving me thoughts for my mom. Yeah. I, I, was really, I was really proud to find a way, obviously, to direct my grief in a way that I felt was productive me and part of my healing, but also a legacy that I felt deserved to be commemorated and also something to provide the community there that they didn't have before. So I'm very proud of it. And you should, I just, I love that. We all need to do the things that we need to do when we lose someone that we love. Um, my, when my nephew passed away, he was 29, he had leukemia, and then he had a dual lung transplant that was a result of the cure of leukemia. And he was at NYU at a program, a master's program called ITP. And for people not in New York who don't know about it, it's where you kind of get the, the tech people with the creative people to create the next big ideas in life. And there are about 60 kids or so in, in the class. And then, I'm sorry, there are like 100 kids in the class. The day he died, he was in the hospital, 65 students came and sat vigil in the hospital. We broke every hospital roll as far as backpacks and coats. I mean, the, the whole, and nobody cared because everybody was just so into the moment. But the day that he would have graduated in May, he died in December and he would have graduated that May, on graduation day, Every student in the class had a picture of him on the top of their caps. And I have That's a photo beautiful. of them going up the escalator to graduation. And all you see are these pictures of Justin. It's like the stairway to heaven. It was, it really, I get goosebumps even now when I think about it. That's beautiful. And so I think that it, those weren't small things, right? Somebody did that. Someone created the photo. But it's those things in life that if we just take the time, you're doing the park for your mom, take that step back. How often, I think, do we get into that? We'll go on to the next and we don't take the time. And this was six months after Justin died that they did this, right? It wasn't like the day after where you're kind of in that. That we just keep doing the things that are that we really and truly want to do, not force. So for everyone out there, I want to leave that message on, on this one that do what you feel, just follow it through because great things will happen. But now I want to talk about your conceiving your child, your, your son, who is just adorable, as I said. Um, and you talk about that openly. And I think it's a conversation that a lot of young women and men need to hear. Sure. Well, I'm proud of that too, right? Um, because as I mentioned, I had been very career focused up until that point, And I had been very blessed in finding a partner, my husband, who I love and admire. And there's a lot of mutual respect there and friendship. And I remember around the time my mother started to fall ill and her death was actually rather sudden. um, There was talk about starting a family. And I mean, I was already in my mid thirties at that point. So really I had dedicated my life to my career up to that point. And you had met your husband when you were how old? Uh, we actually went to high school together. Oh, wow. <laughs> but we, didn't, we didn't get married then. <laughs> we didn't get married then. We reconnected. Because um, you had a smart mother. Late, <laughs> yes. I was, I, I, we reconnected in my late 20s. And then, uh, I mean, we've been together. We've been married since 2003. So he was always very supportive. And I think one of the reasons why Lang loves me is my ambition and my drive. And he was really the first man that walked into my life where they, they weren't, he wasn't threatened by that. 
And I very much respected that and needed that as a, with a partner. And I very much also reciprocate and respected his drive and his ambitions in any case. So my mother and brother passed and it was like, Oh, whoa, now it really is time for me to start a family. If this is a priority of mine in terms of the desire to grow my family. And it was hard. I was the youngest in my family of the small family. I was sort of the princessa and I never saw myself as being super maternal or wanting to have children. Um, I think it came very naturally to my sister, Ophelia, who has two beautiful children and she had them much younger than I did and has also managed to be very successful in her own right. And I knew it would be in the books. I just didn't know when, and this prompted it. And my age and certain anatomical deficiencies, let's say, or distinctions, I, I ultimately had to go through the whole infertility treatment route. And it, was, uh, it took two years and five tries, and we were on the precipice of looking at donor eggs and other alternatives because I knew in my mind that we were going to have a family one way or another. I believe family happens however you make your family. But with the encouragement of this one particular doctor, he, you know, weighing the risks and everything, he was like, you know, keep, give it another shot, give it another shot. And I was like, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. I can't do this. And he was like, just one more time. And that one last time resulted in, in my son. And I'm proud of that accomplishment because it was hard in the way that people who deal with health concerns have to push through and determine, you know, what their, what they can sustain and what their end goal is. And I knew what my, what I wanted my end goal to be. And, um, and I had many reasons and justifications for that end goal. And just as I had sort of been tenacious around my mother's park, and just as I had been tenacious around my career before that, I directed my tenacity toward having a child. And I think anytime you put your mind to something and it results in a positive outcome, I can't help but be proud of that. I'm really proud that I was able to, to grow my family one way or another. Before we hear about what kept Isabel going, I want to do a shout out to fan club. We're all fans of something. Me, I'm a fan of documentary filmmaker Tiffany Schlain, who sees something that she doesn't understand and asks, how did I not know that? And then takes action to inform others so we're all in the know. But with the way everything is changing about the way we consume culture, the way fandom works is changing too. And that leads to this question, why do we love what we love? The answers are in Fan Club, a new podcast hosted by Ross Martin, who definitely knows a lot about fandom. Ross has dedicated his career to marketing and innovation in entertainment. Named one of Fast Company's 100 Most Creative People in Business and a three-time Emmy winner, Ross has continually explored fandom through his work at Viacom, home of Comedy Central, MTV, Nickelodeon, BET, and so many more brands and shows that we all love. On Fan Club, Ross is figuring out the future of how we are going to watch, listen, and consume culture. He talks to a slew of amazing people across the pop culture landscape, musicians, artists, fashion designers, chefs, and scientists, about how their work is being experienced today and how they think it will be experienced in the future. Fan Club will change the way you think about the things you love. Subscribe now at vbyviacom.com slash fan club or wherever you are listening to the show. Continuing the conversation here on Mentoring Moments, we're brought to you by WordPress.com. More websites run on WordPress than on any other platform. Create your blog or small business website today and get 15% off any new plan purchase at WordPress.com slash Forbes. That's WordPress.com slash Forbes. And now back to the conversation with Isabel. Yeah, a lot of women have said that they wish we would talk, not just we, but in general, the we, we would talk about having miscarriages more because we don't talk about the, you know, what, what goes on with us emotionally and physically when we have miscarriages and through the infertility process of treating infertility. I remember when, when I, when I was going through infertility treatment, we just didn't talk about it. And this is, you know, 20, 30 years ago. It just, you just didn't talk about it. And my therapist said, 
if you had cancer, you would be telling everyone, right? It would be like, and maybe not everyone, but it's kind of, you know, I have breast cancer because there's a community out there to support you and people want to support you. Infertility is also the same thing. It's not a cancer, but it's a treat. It's something that needs to be treated medically. There's nothing wrong with you. It's your body that something is not working in your body. But because we don't talk about it, it's like AIDS. It's like everything that becomes a stigma. And infertility in those days was like, you just don't talk about it. And I think, you know, the more we talked about it, we're at this point now, 30 years later, that we're able to talk about it. But we're still, I think, for everyone going through it, the angst and what is wrong with me, right? What's wrong with me that I can't get pregnant? Sure, and regrets about time lost. And, oh my gosh, why was I so focused on my career when this really matters? And... I mean, you have to really juggle a lot of unkind thoughts that can kind of be self-directed. And what was it that kept you going? So what what was it that made you get up in the morning and say, I'm still moving in this direction. I'm still going to make this happen. And versus saying, you know what, this is too tough. Right. That is a really good question, Denise. I'm not sure... I can even articulate it. I think when I, when something triggers in my brain that I'm going to go in a forward direction, I can be resolute about it. And I knew that if this fifth try didn't work, that we were going to try alternate paths. This fifth try, I guess I knew I still had some strength left in me to do the shots and to, frankly, beyond the shots, just deal with the disappointment, the perpetual disappointment of having miscarriages Mm -hmm. and having eggs that didn't take. And, you know, it's strange. It's the doctor said that day, do it one more time. Maybe he says that to everybody. I don't know, but he said it to me and I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to trust you. We'll do it. They put five in me and one worked. Well, I remember when I was going through infertility and we would go to these meetings and the guy heading up the meeting said, okay, so there's a good chance that you will have twins or triplets or quads. And I was like, he's like, does anybody here not want more than one shot? I was the only person to raise my hand. I was like, me, <laughs> no, I just want one at a time. Everybody was like, I don't care. I'll have four because you do get to that mode of, I just I don't care. Four is fine, right? Right. I want to have a family. And if that means I have four at a time, I'm like thinking, how in the hell do you get them up the street at the same time? How do you push that buggy? I had such a bad batting average that I, you know, I I didn't think, I thought this would have resulted like the rest. I thought it wasn't going to take. So it was a real moment of um, surprise and obviously joy and then excitement and a new chapter that I was ready to take on. And I do believe in destiny and I do believe things happen for a reason. And I do believe the universe sort of lays things out for you when you're ready to receive them. I I agree a hundred percent. And I remember when I was going through the infertility treatment and we were doing the donor egg and this has been now seven years of doing this and no success. And I, you know, I, I became obsessed by the whole thing and the whole process so I was going to do the donor egg, and I think at that time it, it was outrageous amount of money, right? It was like $15,000 for a 25% chance of success, okay? So she said to me, and you spend a ton of money going through infertility treatment. I don't know if it's covered by, a medic, by any medical insurances now, but then it wasn't. And she said, do you want to invest that money in something with a 25% chance after everything you've been through? Or do you want to look at another way to build a family, which turned into the, I went through the adoption route, which wasn't easy either. None of it was easy. None, None of, of it was easy. easy. I, you know, to this day, I, I'm so for me having my daughter, Allie, I can't imagine having another child. I mean, it's like Allie and I were meant to be together. And I know that sounds like, in the no, I, I, world, I but, believe it, but we really were meant to be together. Absolutely. But I think it's one of those things where for every person who's going through this, you know, when it's your time to keep going, you just feel it. It was like, I just knew I didn't want to do that. I, for me, I needed my therapist to say, it's, you, it's okay to stop. So I needed that one more person to say, because I did come from that background of try harder, try harder, try harder, which I'm sure because you know, my parents were first generation Italian to the States. So I'm sure it was that saying, you just keep trying, because that's yeah. how they did things, right? right. You just tried harder. Right, right. The store didn't work, you tried harder. Right. You, this didn't work, you just did this, you exactly. dug harder. You just did it harder. Yeah. Uh, and to give that up. So I think that, you know, knowing that there's, 
when you have your end goal in mind, as you did, and starting a family, there are many ways to get there. And we were open to them all. Right. And you just have to find the one. And some people adoption isn't for them. Mm -hmm. It just truly isn't the right. If you want to be pregnant, if you want to go through the pregnancy, adoption is not going to fulfill that basic need that you have. Right. And for some people, that's important. So we all need to find our own path. But I think the thing is, it's out there. Whatever we want, there are ways. If you want a family, there are so many ways of building a yes, family. Absolutely. And it's not easy. It's and if not you don't easy. want a family, that's fine too. Exactly. I just I think that my circumstances one of the things that I realized also through this journey is that dreams change. You know, I dreamed of being at the top of a magazine masthead for many, many years. And then I was like, oh no, actually my dream my dream is changing a little bit and to be open to that. And, and that's another hard one, Isabel. I mean, that really is a hard one. So I give you, you should be proud of that one. Because I, I, seriously, because I think that's hard mm-hmm. when you have this dream to be able to say, it's okay right. that I don't want to have that dream or that I don't want to be that high up in right. the corporate structure, that yep. this is the life I want. Yeah, absolutely. And recognizing that. And InStyle had served a tremendous purpose for me. A, I think I did great work for them. And I worked with some of the smartest people in the industry there. But it gave me this opportunity and this safe place to first mourn and then to sort of realign my dreams and then to focus on starting a family. I don't know if I'd been anywhere else, it would have been as conducive to that path. So I also think that there are reasons why it's never so binary. And I think it's about moving in and out and sensing what's right for you at that moment in terms of your the flow of your life. I had that, the blessing of being able to work at a great company at that time. And that, that, that is a big part of it. And being able to work with people who understand whether it's the company, your boss, but being in in an environment where people understand before we get into, I'm done with that, what you've all been waiting for. I want to do a shout out to WordPress. I was recently in Napa Valley with my daughter, Allie, and we were on a mother-daughter trip, and we had a wonderful time shopping in the small stores. We talked to the owner of a kitchen store and learned about the artist who painted the dishes we purchased. And as my Pilates instructor would say, it made my heart happy to support these small businesses because they are the heart of our communities. But how can small businesses make a really big impact? by going to wordpress.com and creating a website for your business or your personal blog. Even if you don't have a clue how to build a website, wordpress.com can guide you through the process. They have customized themes. That's huge. Plus, when you're on wordpress.com, you'll get built-in social sharing and search engine optimization. On wordpress.com, you're part of a community with support 24-7 when you need it. So come see why nearly 30% of all websites run on WordPress and why more websites run on WordPress than on any other platform. Get started today with 15% off any new plan purchase. Go to wordpress.com slash Forbes to create your website and find the membership plan that's right for you. That's wordpress.com slash Forbes for 15% off your brand new website. WordPress.com slash Forbes. Now back to Mentoring Moments with Denise Rastari. And now that we've talked about everything that we want in life, not everything, but we've touched on and what we're proud of, let's talk about what we're done with. Let's do I'm done with that. I love this segment. <laughs> I'm done with so many things. So what are you done with? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, I'm done with – I'm definitely more done with high heels than I ever have been. And I know I'm not the only person Me to too, say Me too. You've got really here. great flats on. We'll take a picture of them and propose them. They're <laughs> oh, great. That's funny. I um, – And I'm done with flats, not just from a comfort perspective, but also this like patriarchy perspective. And I think that that leads into a larger done with. I'm done with sexism and I'm done with racism. And I think that that's also like a response to what's going on culturally right now. And we marched together, which is such a powerful bonding moment for me, certainly. And I think that it's about, I, I, I went to a very important meeting recently and I was like, am I going to wear heels? Because that would be my default, right? Like stand taller, project maybe some power through sexiness. And I was like, no, I'm going to feel better in, in flats. And I felt so grounded and powerful in my flats that for a Latina is saying so much. I've been wearing high heels since I was five years old, or at least aspiring to wear high heels since I was five years old. Right. So that is such like a, a, a paradigm shift for me. 
So I'm done with racism and I'm done with sexism and I'm prepared to call it out when I see it. Good, good. And I think that and I think when we look at the high hills, it has such a bigger meaning than the hill, right? Just as you're saying. Uh, yeah. First of all, we get places faster yeah, when we're totally. not in them. And there are times we like, I love wearing high heels. There are times when you go out to dinner. Absolutely. Get, you just feel great. And I've seen fabulous pictures of you on the red carpet and you look amazing in your in your high heels. Thank but, you. But you're not really running places. And you're, that's, that gets a party. It's fun right. to get dressed up and be, and you can wear flats if you want to, to a party. I'm not saying you have to wear high heels. But it's not like saying we have to give it up Totally. It's like looking at what's sensible. Exactly. That, you know, we want to get around. We want right. to get there as fast as everybody else. Yeah. So that, so I'm with you, but I, I agree with the racism and, um, and women and gender parity that we, they, we really do start needing to call it out when we see it. And one of the things I'm done with is I was thinking about this the other day is not looking up and that has a bigger meaning than just not looking up. I think we spend so much time in New York walking, looking down, right? Because God knows we're going to step in or what crack we're going to trip over. So we spend our life looking down. Or if we're driving, we're looking ahead or we're looking sideways. Sometimes we look backwards, but we don't look up. And it hit me when I was in St. Bart's. I had to like purposefully, and I looked out a lot because you're at the beach. And so that to me is like, you can see forever, which makes me think, the world is just out there waiting for you. But I didn't look up a lot. And at nighttime, I would purposefully say, I'm going to look up because the sky with the stars is just magnificent. And I thought back to when I first moved to New York. You can't make this stuff up. This is a true story. When I would feel like I had a brain block, I would go to the Apple store on Fifth Avenue. It was the only Apple store here then. And I would sit out there on the on like the walls they built and I would look up at the Apple and pray to Steve Jobs. <laughs> I'm telling you, you can't make this stuff up. And this is only eight years ago. This is not like, <laughs> like a gazillion years ago. <laughs> And I would be like, just like, let the apple wash over me, <laughs> let the apple energy wash over me. But I think there's a meaning in that whole looking up, whether it's looking to the sky or just looking up in our own lives. It's just that constantly looking up. I'm tired of looking straight ahead. I want to I think up. that's beautiful. I remember so. when, um, when I was dealing with sort of the, the grief, I would take a lot of walks. I live right by Riverside Park and I would take a lot of walks and I would look up and for the first time ever, I noticed that there was a red-tailed hawk that lived in the park. And that hawk became my companion for months and months and even years and years. Oh, I and I that. probably now when I look up and I see it, I assume that it must be like the offspring. And it's also become something that, that Beck and I share, like looking for the hawks. Um, and Beck is your son. Beck is my son. Sorry. Thank you. And the power of looking up, I mean, it probably also like biologically creates some some. Uh, clarity in your brain because you're letting your blood flow in a different sort of way. But I think looking up is a beautiful concept. And I don't encourage people walking down Fifth Avenue no. to do it because you're going to be one of those people that and really get on my nerves. And you will step <laughs> in dog poop, right. at least right. in my neighborhood. Or you'll trip over some <laughs> curb. But it really is taking that time, whether it's yeah, you see looking up, things. you do. And now I really will like, I'll stand back mm. and I'll stand like closer to the buildings and take a moment to look up because you see beautiful architecture beautiful. that you, you don't see when you're walking around. So I, I encourage I everyone to look up and quit looking down all the time. I love it. So we're going to do takeaways. And what was funny is when I crowdsourced for questions for you, it came out to kind of be like a rapid fire of questions. And we're going to do fun rapid fire. So here's one of them. Your favorite artist of all time. Oh my gosh, rapid fire, <laughs> favorite artist. Let me just say that I have a cousin named Sylvia Gonzalez who I adore and admire her work very much. And if nobody has, is familiar with her work, uh, you can Google her and she does beautiful birds. And she has given me artwork at moments in my life that mean a lot to me also because she takes our old family photos that were that were brought out of Cuba snuck out of Cuba and she incorporates them into the artwork. So I, you know, I, my answer is not Miro. My answer is not, uh, Van Gogh. My answer is my cousin, Sylvia Gonzalez. But that's so meaningful. That's great. I'm a total sentimentalist. My wedding gown, uh, I was the fifth woman in my, uh, on my husband's side of the family to wear the wedding gown. Oh, really? I want to see a picture. Yeah. It's old Victorian wedding gown. I, that's something that really defines me. And did you love wearing it? Did you love? I did. I felt very special in it and I felt, it was completely unique. A, I saved money, obviously. 
uh, be, it was probably not the kind of dress, like I envisioned myself like wearing like an Yves Saint Laurent, like low back, sexy Duchess satin. And your high heels. <laughs> <laughs> and this was like buttoned up Victorian with a thousand buttons. So it was so not me, but I, I appreciated the meaning in that. So I, I, something about the personal really, I respect I agree. I, and I think, too, as I'll speak for myself, as I'm getting older, it just has so much more meaning than going out and buying things. It's the right. story behind. I mean, look finds. at all my jewelry. I love your jewelry. All my jewelry has special meaning and, you know, tells stories. Right. I mean, then you can tell. So what's tell me one of the stories. Uh, well, this was a ring. So uh, we had jewelers in our family in Cuba. And so this was a ring that was snuck out of Cuba and it's emeralds and diamonds and it's probably from the 1910s. So this was my grandmother's who I adored and she would wear it every day. And I was blessed enough to be the recipient of it. She had many beautiful rings and she gave us all rings. It is beautiful. It's beautiful. um, My grandmother's wedding band on this hand, my mother's wedding band on this hand. And this was my husband's grandmother's uh, engagement ring and wedding it's ring. It's gorgeous. And I, so I, they're, they're all beautiful and they really you. are beautiful. And I, I think it's so great that you you're live in this modern world and especially with what you do surrounded by the celebrities and the high powered people. But there's something about you that's so gra- that's so like genuine and so grounded that I just love. I think it's you. like you do this over here. That's that high power, but the Isabel right. deep down, maybe because like as immigrants we left so much behind so the little that i have i want to wrap myself up in it but i have i've always had incredible amount of respect for family and elders and and the women that walked before me because it ain't easy no no it's it's not okay so here's one who's on your wish list to interview oh well certainly obama Certainly Obama, who I admire and whom I think has done so much for this country. And there's just a level of respect that I have for him in terms of what he represents culturally. And I think I recognize that because he was an outsider, I'm an outsider. So I think generationally and culturally, I really believe he sort of stands for what's new and what's coming next. I'm with you. Along with Michelle, I want both of them. Mm-hmm. I want both of them. Yeah. So I can't thank you enough. Thank I have to hold you. your hands. But tell us where we can find you online. Oh, gosh. Not, not your home address. <laughs> but where can we you, find you? You can find me on Twitter at Isabel C. Gonzalez. And then on Instagram at The Fashed, which is short for the fashion editor. So The Fashed and The Sports Writer, which is my husband. So it's not a shared account, but... It was just a handle that I thought was sort of funny at the time. Anyway, so that's where you can find me. And, uh, and I'll put those in our show notes, too. So yeah, we'll have And them. you'll get a peek into my to my life and this crazy journey that we're on. I just love your journey. I love your spirit. You. I love everything about and I can't, you. Thank every you. time I look at Denise, I smile. Like, that's all. <laughs> and that's a ditto. <laughs> that, that right back at you. <laughs> thank I you. you I love thank you. Thank you. I'm sitting here reflecting on my conversation with Isabel, and the word proud is the word that is just top of mind. I'm so grateful that Isabel is in my life, and I'm so, so proud of her, for her accomplishments professionally, for sure. But something that I think that is so much more important and something that we leave out so often are those personal accomplishments. When we are just showing that we have the tenacity, that we know how to make our way forward in life. Because there's one thing that I'm sure of at this point in my life, as great as all those professional accomplishments are, and they are, the ones that are the most meaningful aren't about what you did, they're about who you are. And as Isabel said, we all go through the desert, but it's how we come out that says who we are, what we stand for, how we stand again when life knocks us down. And sometimes we just can't do it alone. And that's important to know, whether it's a family member or a friend or your family at work or a therapist, sometimes we need to reach out to find our own strength, to get that help that we need to find that strength. And then this is the really important part. We need to be proud of what we accomplished 
And we need to tell those stories and encourage others to share their stories. And even if you start with one thing that you're proud of. So before we go today, let me share this little story for you about something that I'm proud of. Recently, being on that trip with my daughter, Allie, there's something that kept hitting me that I was really proud of. I'm letting Allie live her own life to grow up in her own time and ways and make mistakes. But at the same time, making sure that she knows that Lewis and I are always there for her. Not in the sense of, you know, go and do whatever you want to do and we're going to bail you out. That's totally different. That does it, That's not it. It's that we love you, we're here for you, and you're going to make mistakes. As I always say to Allie, you're going to make mistakes, just don't make the mistakes that ruin your life, ruin someone else's life. And the mistakes, as we talk about all the time, failure, you can go forward. That's what I'm proud of today is that as hard as it is as a parent sometimes to shut up and not say anything, I'm letting Allie live her life. And she's going to be better off for it than asking her to live my life. So thanks to everyone for joining us today. And to make sure you're getting mentoring moments the moment it's live every Wednesday, download episodes at the Podcast One app or subscribe on Apple Podcasts or at podcastone.com. And while you're there, make sure to show some love and rate, review, and share. And check out my show notes on Forbes.com. Talk to me. I'm easy to find. I'm always on Twitter at Denise Ristari. And until next week, keep sharing your story because your stories matter. Download new episodes of Mentoring Moments every Wednesday at podcastone.com, forbes.com, the Podcast One app, or you can subscribe at iTunes. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. London police have arrested Julian Assange on extradition charges to the United States as well as for violating his bail. Assange is accused of publishing classified documents through WikiLeaks. In 2010, he told Sky News he was worried about what the U.S. might do to him. The United States recently has shown that its institutions seem to be failing. Uh, they are failing to follow the rule of law. And with dealing with a superpower that does not appear to be following, following the rule of law, is a serious business. He also said in 2010 the U.S. officials had threatened him and those associated with him. There has been many calls by senior political figures uh, in the United States, uh, including elected ones in the Senate, uh, for my execution, uh, the kidnapping of my staff. Edward Snowden, the former security contractor who leaked classified information about U.S. surveillance programs, says the arrest of Assange is a blow to media freedom. I'm Rita Foley.